as we sit in Atlanta, about 24 hours away from kickoff as we record this, a crossover episode of Locked on LSU and Locked on Sooners, Matt Moscona, John Hoover, uh, from the plush and palatial Hyatt Regency in downtown Atlanta. But we found a quiet spot, John. This we did. Um, but you, I just got here this morning, Friday morning. Uh, you came Christmas Day. Yeah. What's the week been like? Uh, it's been a bit of a hectic rush. Media day was uh, one was one thing after another. Uh, you know how it is when you're covering these bowl games and there's they, they lay out the uh, media events for you. Uh, be here at 7.30, be here at 8.30, be here at 9.30, and at 10 we're going to do this. Right. It's like, whoa, wait a second. So uh, it picks up the tempo for sure from the regular season, from the you know the, reg- the, the regimented Monday we do this, yeah. Tuesday we do that. And then we're kind of done for the week. And then it's a, we're on our own timetable. Here it's like, you know, you know, the game is in two days, right? Yeah. We're talking to the head coaches on a, thir- on a Friday. Friday the game, morning. The game is tomorrow. We got players, all the players. I talked to a freshman quarterback yesterday. That's never hap- that doesn't happen during the season. So these bowl games, these playoff games, are fantastic access. I love that. Yeah. I got asked today by, by someone on, on Facebook, said, Matt, don't, don't you think that the, the media – requirements are too much for all the players and coaches? First of all, that's a leading question. If you're saying, don't you think? And the answer is no, I don't think it is. I think when you're talking about, and I'll lean on you here, because so how many, you've covered, this is your fourth playoff you covered? Fourth playoff. So, and this is my first, uh, LSU making the playoff for the first time. I guess fifth, because I covered the 2014 championship game in Dallas. Okay. So, I, this is my first time being around this, but the fact of the matter is, it's a really big deal. And, the all of the sports media in the country is here mm-hmm. or in Arizona because people are interested right. in in this. So I think you have to if you're not giving access to coaches and players and officials and Peach Bowl officials and it, then we're all just basically sitting in Atlanta for no reason doing something we could do where where we are. So I, it I think it is it is taxing on the coaches and players to have su- such a regimented schedule. But I also think it's kind of what you sign up for when you're going to play in a game this big. I can shed. I wasn't on the beat in 2003, but the game that came up today at the press conference was the 2003-04 LSU-Oklahoma BCS yeah. National Championship game in the Sugar Bowl. And the reports from all of our reporters back when I worked for the Tulsa World was, I was on the Oklahoma State beat at the time, the report was Nick Saban is on Nick Saban time. <laughs> the bowl game, the BCS <laughs> National Championship, is saying we need you here at 8 we need you here at 7.50 so we can start the press conference at 8. Well, at 8.20, the press conference hadn't started because Nick Saban is somewhere between here and the hotel. He's Nick. That's what I understood to be Nick Saban time. That hasn't happened here, and I, I don't think that's really happened at any other bowl yeah. games I've covered. Good for those Except guys. for when Baker Mayfield got sick. Baker Mayfield got sick. Uh, that was interesting before yeah. the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um, it became a massive story. Like, there's nothing even that kind of a, in this game – that kind of approaches that, right, Clyde? It is Baker was Except the Heisman. We knew that Baker was the Heisman winner, and I think everyone roundly understood if something's wrong with Baker, Oklahoma can't go. Right. Looking at Clyde, and I hate like I don't mean to, to in any way diminish Clyde's impact. He's a twelve hundred yard rusher, mm-hmm. unanimous All SEC. Most people are assuming, and even Vegas. I mean, even with the Oklahoma suspensions. With Turner Yell being injured and Clyde's injury, the point spread had moved a tick. Right. That's interesting. It it goes to show you 
quarterbacks are the only players that are going to move a point spread. And we we've known for the better part of a week, going on two weeks, that these some of these guys are not going to play. Yeah, we're probably not going to play. Not, they're not going to be a hundred percent if they do play, kind of thing. With Baker, it was we showed up for the the media day press conference, and he was not there. I was like. Where's your Heisman winning quarterback? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I forgot to tell you guys, Baker's really sick. Yeah. What? That could be a really big deal. Yeah. Like, if Joe Burrow wasn't there because exactly. he was really sick, that would have been a really big deal. You know, you brought up 2003, and we talked, and that got brought up in the press conference today. And I guess maybe this was just sort of naivete on my part, but I didn't know that, that bringing up 03, first of all, I didn't realize 03 was still a as big a deal on the OU side because LSU and Oklahoma haven't played right. Correct. That was it since yeah. I mean it's been 16 years. They haven't seen each other. You haven't crossed paths in football. Um, and I was, I've been thinking about this. I know we talked about it last time we did the the crossover uh, episode, and the the perception of LSU fans. Couple things. First of all, Bourbon Street. No matter what you're doing there. Is going to be a little raunchy if you've never been. Yep. That's one. I was also thinking of it from this standpoint. You know the phrase, like, act like you've been there before? Yeah. In 2003, LSU hadn't been there before. You know, it was, when you think it, just how different the, the program is today as compared to then. In 2003, it had been 45 years <sighs> since LSU won a national title. Wow. 1958 to 2003. And... The peaks of success really were, you made an Orange Bowl in 82, made some Sugar Bowls therein, won a few SEC titles here and there, but by and large, LSU's, the high point of LSU's history throughout that time was getting really close under Charles McClendon and then mm-hmm. losing the game to Alabama 3 to nothing. You know, like... Oh, th- like <laughs> Is that an SEC score or what? You, you, right? From the, <laughs> from the 70s. Yes. You know, but, but those, like, LSU never had success. And, and many LSU fans came and went and never saw a championship. And, and, and people like me never even conceptualized that it would even be possible. So in many respects, LSU hadn't, like, hadn't been there before. Yeah. Now they won it in 03, they won it in 07, they played 4 and 11. Now they're back in this moment again. And it's a different feeling. It almost feels like there's an expectation from LSU, it was almost like it's been eight years, and people are like, "What the hell took you so long?" Right. You know, whereas, hey, man, it was forty-five years the last time. You know. So LSU fans, you're saying hadn't been there before, and they acted like they hadn't been there I, before, probably on Bourbon Street. And, and yeah. I will grant you, I was a senior at LSU in 2003, and boy, I lived it up that. Way. I bet you did. Uh, that was a spectacular time in New Orleans to have that, and that Oklahoma team. I don't mean to go all nostalgic here with this, but. The, I remember the storylines of that Oklahoma team, which was scored seventy-seven on A and M through three quarters. I mean, I, I remember the team very well. Heisman Trophy and winner, of course, is Jason White, and I mean, we we can go Derek Strait. I mean, we could the Thorpe. We can talk about all of them. I remember all of them. Sounds familiar, um, actually. Right, right. Um, and the talk about that Oklahoma team though was greatest college team ever, and then lose to K State, lose to LSU, and, and I wonder. If that is part of the blemish of what was an otherwise great season, like for LSU in 2011, 2011 was the greatest season in the history of the program. Sure. And then it, you're back in New Orleans, and Alabama, a team you already beat, got a rematch and and ruined it. And you have nothing to show for it. Uh, 
so that the stain of like James, which is which is why we're here. Right. That whole game is the reason we now have a fourteen playoff. Uh, that's your. I agree completely. The man. I know I'm rambling a bit, but when I think about that 2011 game and the impact on LSU, I wonder if from the Oklahoma side is that 2003 LSU is that where some of that animosity is built as well? Like the the season that could have been maybe the best season in program history wasn't because of what happened that night. In yeah, New I I see where you're going with that, and I'll I'll add to it this: that was Bob Stoops's first loss in a national championship game. To that point, he had not lost a national championship game. He tells the story. He goes back to Norman and he's having a mixer with you know several people and Barry Switzer walks in and he says, "Can I cuss on the? Uh, can I yeah. hear Barry Switzer on the podcast? Your podcast, man, please do." He oh says, my "Hell, God. you son of a bitch! You thought you were going to win them all, didn't you?" <laughs> Switzer actually lost, I think, three or four national championship opportunities. Huh. And he, you know, him and Stoops are close, and so Stoops gets back from New Orleans and he gets a lesson. From the king, the guy that they call the king in Oklahoma, Barry Switzer himself, Bob, you do not win a national championship every time you go to the national championship. Now, unfortunately for Oklahoma, it's been 19 years now since they since they have won one, but that was the first one. And Stoops had, you know, he rebuilt the program, resurrected it in 99, won a national title in 2000. Uh, 2001, they hit a couple of hiccups, lost Oklahoma State. 2002, a couple of hiccups, went to the Rose, Rose Bowl and won that one. And be 2003, Washington State, right? Be Washington State. In 2003, you have the Heisman Trophy winner. You go back to the BCS National Championship game. 2004, you're back in the National Championship. Stoops had it rolling. So where it started, people think where it started was that LSU game. That's a, certainly a large part of it. Where I think it started was the game before against Kansas State that you mentioned, mm. the 35-7. Mm-hmm. Maybe purple is just not Bob Stoops' color. Hmm. I That was Darren Sproles yep. on that Kansas State team. Yep. I remember watching that game. I, I don't mean to like unearth that, right. that history, but it is, it's interesting how I think the two programs, while I've only played once, the 2003 game, the so many parallels and how sort of their history is interwoven as we walk through this. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Stoops' first big loss, Nick Saban's first big win. Yeah, that's very, very accurate. I mean, Saban had... Many people at LSU will point to the 0-1 SEC championship game where they beat... T- Tennessee was ranked second in the country, and Tennessee was going to go play Miami for the national championship out mm-hmm. the Rose Bowl, and, and LSU dashed those hopes. And that was the thing that many people thought birthed LSU. But there's no question winning the 0-3 championship was... was the was the arrival, and that was the the national arrival. Um, do uh, the other thing about media day to bring it back more current. Um, LSU got a little mouthy. One player in particular at media day. Let's let's grab a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about that here in just a second. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, so media day comes and goes, mm-hmm. and pretty much everybody says all the right things. Like, Grant Delpit was super complimentary of C.D. Lamb. 
Caleb on Chassaw gushed about the Oklahoma rushing offense and Jalen Hurts. C.D. Lamb gushed about Derek Stingley. Jalen Hurts is as polished as he's ever been. And there's Patrick Queen. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, John, I thought, that's why that guy doesn't talk to the media very much. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that play? Okay, so LSU went first in the, in the morning press setup, and then they get them out of the Hall of Fame, and here comes Oklahoma. He said that toward the end of the LSU session. So then there's a little time. There's a little time to reset. They take down all the placards, put up the new placards for Oklahoma, and you know move the chairs around and whatnot. So there's a little time to digest. In the 15 minutes or 30 minutes or so in between the two media sessions, that thing took off. People were posting it because it went straight from their phone. They were shooting it with their phone, got posted. And by the time Oklahoma got here, several players already knew about it. Mm. And I this was this was amazing to me. This was just as amazing to me as what Queen said. Uh, it was Parnell Motley, the cornerback, who said, oh, he said that? Hmm, okay. Well, I've been told not to say anything. <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything. I'm like, wait a minute, you got to have a rebuttal. <laughs> you know, but... So I had no. so I had yesterday. I spoke to uh, to Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark's an LSU guy who's on ESPN, and many people know who Ryan is. And Ryan's good enough to come on my show every week, and he's a friend. But um, he said, you know, and this made a lot of sense. He said he's just regurgitating what he's been told. Not not that the coaches have said, go say this mm-hmm. publicly, but when you're in a meeting room, yeah. they're probably sitting there telling him. I think they're probably a little weak there on the offensive line. We've seen better backs than that. That's that's probably that stuff stays behind closed right. doors. That's though. so. Uh, where do you where do you fall on bulletin board material? Do you think it matters? I think it matters. You do. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's it's fake at all. I think it's real. I think players draw motivation from it. Coaches draw mo- coaches draw motivation, and then tell the players to get motivated from it. They don't tell us that. Yeah. But behind closed doors. They absolutely do. Did that's they? that's why it became known as bulletin board material because it's literally in on the bulletin board in the team's locker room. They're the only ones that see it. Do so. I I, I waver back and forth on this. First of all, I would much rather Patrick Queen have not said that, right? Especially Matt Ogeron. And the reason is is essentially gives the answer to the que- to the question we're talking about. If you'd rather that not have it out there, then it's a, a, an advantage perceived or otherwise. I think once. The whistle blows. You kick off the ball. You're you're playing, right? I mean, it's you're you're playing football. And if if you need extra motivation in a semifinal game, what are we doing here? But I do believe, for for preparation, mm-hmm. it absolutely matters. It matters a lot. I, and, and another place it matters is, uh, let's say Patrick Queen takes a blindside hit, legal, clean, but a blindside hit decletes him. And there are three OU guys standing over him saying, what do you think of us now? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think of us? And then they start jawing back and forth. And then everybody's adrenaline gets going. So these things, they can come back and play yeah, in the that's game. That's a great point. And, and specifically with Queen, John, I think Patrick Queen is a huge part of LSU's defensive plan this week. Like, that's not a name a lot of people are going to know. But Queen is a kid from Livonia, which is 15 minutes from downtown Baton Rouge. And he is a super athletic linebacker. LSU's got some thumpers. You know, Jacob Phillips is the leading tackler. He's a thumper. They put him in the middle of the defense. If you run between the tackles, six is going to hit you. Like, he's one of those types of players. Oklahoma's had plenty of linebackers like that. 
Queen is the guy that sideline to sideline, he's going to run you down. Mm. So when you think about what OU, theoretically, in this game, with a lot of their counters, it might try to do in testing the edge and getting in space, eight is the guy that cleans up a lot of that for LSU. Yeah. So That's a good point. If they can get him blocked at the point of attack, that'll I think that will be high on their list of things to do. You know what I mean? He... I think you will look at, at Patrick Queens. That you, I think after the game on Saturday, we can look at the box score and you can look at the day Patrick Queen had and you will probably tell how much success LSU had stopping Oklahoma running the football. Interesting. Because if Patrick Queen is sitting there at a double-digit tackle day and that meant eight was flying all over the field and he was making hits at, at the line of scrimmage and not allowing things down. If it becomes a game where you're looking at either Grant Delbert or Maurice Hampton, some of the safeties making a lot of plays then you probably got a little bit of, a little bit of trouble. Because my, th- my thought is LSU is probably going to give safety help deep because of the thought of Lamb beating LSU deep. Yeah. And they're going to rely on the linebackers and some of their athletic ends, guys like Chasson, to be able to set the edge and, and keep things contained at the line of scrimmage. And if they can't do that, it's a long day. They're going, LSU's going to try to play it straight up. They're not going to stack the box. Um, correct? But, but I, if, that, that, either way, Oklahoma's going to have a counter. If they stack the box, this is our our plan B. If they don't stack the box, this is our plan B. Both offenses are going to do that, right? Yeah. And what I'm wondering is if if everything if there are no turnovers, no major injuries, and both offenses score as we probably think that they might mm-hmm. that, that they should, which plays which plays better? Which which offense plays better? Is it uh, LSU throwing the deep ball? Scoring on three play drives, or is it Oklahoma grinding out eight, 10, 12, 15 play drives? So, do you have a thought? Because you can go first. I have a thought. No, go ahead. Okay. I think when we have a 13 game sample, you are what you are. And what, what LSU is, they are an offense that nobody has stopped. And I don't think Oklahoma's going to stop. So, whatever Oklahoma does, LSU will counter and win. Uh, I'm not saying win the game, but they'll move the ball, Mm -hmm. is what I mean. If Oklahoma decides to bring pressure on Joe Burrow, he will find where the pressure is coming. He's dangerous against pressure. Did did we talk about his pressure stats last time we did the crossover? This is like mind boggling. Uh, When teams blitz Joe Burrow, his completion percentage is over 70. His quarterback rating is over 150. He has not thrown an interception. If you blitz him, he will beat you. He, He's just playing. And, you, and look, OU fans know this. You've seen elite quarterback play. You know what it's like when a guy's in his own. LSU doesn't. This is the first time ever, like literally ever in the history yeah. of LSU football, that they've had a quarterback playing at this level. Right. It's been 60 years since they had a Heisman winner, and they've never had a quarterback come close. Burt Jones in the 70s. In 72 was a was an All-American. That, like, that's it. I know Jamarcus was the first overall pick, but he had his ups and downs. He was more of a physical specimen who had an awesome pro day, which is why he elevated. But either way, if you blitz Joe Burrow, he's going to beat you. If you play coverage, he's going to do the oop-de-oop thing he did against Georgia, where he's just going to direct traffic and wait, and then he'll find the open guy, and he'll throw a 50-50 ball, and his guys win him. So a 13-game sample, just seen it. Like, nobody has stopped the offense yet. Mm-hmm. And I think Georgia and Bama... And Auburn and Florida all have better defenses than Oklahoma's this year. And he did whatever he wanted against them. So my the thing that's most interesting to me, and you talked about this the last time we talked, I 
am fascinated at the thought that Lincoln Riley might try to slow this game down. Because the way you ask the question is, should they put together you know, 8, 10, 12 play drives to slow the game? Then you're asking your team to be perfect. You, you can't have a penalty. You can't drop a pass. Jalen can't miss a throw. Because if you do and then you're behind the sticks, then you punt, and now you've given the team that's going to go in three plays or four plays mm-hmm. to score again. And, and if LSU does that, John, and Oklahoma has three or four empty possessions and LSU gets up two or three scores, just say hypothetically, now OU doesn't have a choice. You can't play the slowdown game. Now you now you got to go, yeah. and now you're playing catch-up. And I don't know if that suits Jalen. But they ran into that very problem in Waco, Texas. Yes. Against the Big 12's best defense. And they, they outscored them, uh, whatever it was, 27 to nothing in the second half. Yeah. So th- I think they're capable of doing that. And I, I, th- I completely agree with what you're saying. If they fall behind, they're in trouble. But they also have a track record that they have fallen behind this year and come all the way back. Is they were the down 25 in, at Kansas State, mm-hmm. which, you know, Kansas State's 8-4 and four this year right. uh, under an FCS national championship winning coach, right? So he's a pretty good coach. He knows think, what he's doing. I and think Kleeman's a great hire. I think he's a fantastic hire, as we found out throughout the season. But, you know, you, you've you come back basically twice from 25 points down if you're Oklahoma. Against Kansas State and Baylor. Against Kansas State and Baylor. Not Have, LSU. Haven't done it against LSU. And that's a different animal. Would you Absolutely. agree? Oh, no doubt. Like that's, that's, no doubt. That's the difference here. Uh, two, I think both K-State and Baylor are quality offenses, and I think both are quality defenses. I think LSU's better across the board. There's yeah. no doubt. Let's knock out one final break and kind of lay out how we think this thing might go. Locked on LSU, locked on Sooners, stick around. All right, game Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Have you seen the venue yet? I still haven't. No. It's, by the way, you will love the press box chairs. Good. They've got ergonomic chairs, which are magnificent. I mean, I want, if I could, I'd disassemble one, put it in my bag, and take it home with me. Uh, it should be and, the bowl gift is what it, you're saying. It should be the bowl <laughs> gift. And uh, because it is the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, we have unlimited Chick-fil-A, and they have an ice cream machine in the press box. Can't be an ice cream machine. vanilla, or swirl. <laughs> I tell you what. You know, in the Big 12, K-State is renowned for its ice cream. They have a cooler in the back, and there's like 11 different kinds of ice cream. Sandwiches, treats, cones. Yes, I know. We can do it right how's, in the Big 12. How's the Oklahoma press box? Let's talk about Baylor's press box. Okay. Let's talk about Oklahoma State's press Wouldn't box. Wouldn't you think that LSU also, with like the perception of Louisiana food, that the LSU yeah, yeah, yeah. would be No? I mean, some hot dogs and some cookies yeah. and some popcorn every now and again. They'll Who bring are out we? a little gumbo Who or are something. we to complain about free right? hot it's dogs? Right, it's free. Literally everyone listening to this right now is going, you jackasses, go to games for free. You don't have to pay to park or buy a ticket. You don't have to stand in line, and you're complaining about press box food. I, I understand. If I went to a game at LSU, which, by the way, I think this was the year they were supposed to go to LSU, right? Yeah. 17 and 19, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Uh, it might have been 18 and 19. If, but if I went to Baton Rouge for a game, which I have before when I covered Arkansas, um, and didn't get gumbo and dirty rice and something like that, I would be disappointed. I, I wouldn't blame you, actually. I just don't know if the press box food is really what you want to dial into, though. Probably not. Yeah. All right, so uh, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, LSU's a 13-and-a-half point favorite. Does the line surprise you? Yes and no. I think it's great respect to LSU, and rightfully so, because of the schedule they've played and the teams that they've beaten. But I think it's also selling Oklahoma short. 
And I think the reason, I, there's a reason for that, and that is uh, Jalen Hurts turnovers, red zone problems, things like that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't turn the football over against a, a team like LSU and not get beat by two touchdowns. You can't miss red zone opportunities against a team like what we're seeing out of the Tigers and not, be a, not get blown out. So what you said earlier about if Oklahoma needs to play perfect, they do need to play perfect. I think they're capable of doing that. I think there there's a possibility that they play perfect, and then if they play perfect, they're basically even. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. They have to play perfect to be even with LSU. We haven't talked about special teams. It's we always just like I, I, I'm guilty of this. I always think about offensive playmakers, yep. defense, and yep. I'm just like, well, what if it comes down to a kick? I'm going to hire for my next podcast. I'm going to hire a special teams commentator to come it, in and talk about special teams. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> uh, how so? How are the Sooners on special teams? Very good. Good. Very, yeah. very good. Uh, Gabe Burkich. Okay, so they started out this this uh, this other guy who I won't name because he allegedly committed a crime and he's not on the team anymore. Okay. You know, involved hitting a woman. Okay. Just allegedly. Uh, he won the starting job. Kid gets, kid gets kicked off the team. They turn it over to this other one. Like, who the heck is this kid? Mm-hmm. He was just the kickoff guy. See, the problem is for Oklahoma last year – Last four years, they had a guy. They had one guy who's now with Cleveland Browns, Austin Seibert, mm-hmm. leading scorer in NCAA history. Right. Thank you, Lincoln Riley. Right. <laughs> Lots uh, of extra points. Yes. <laughs> this kid was the punter, was the kicker, and was the kickoff specialist. He did everything for four years. Now they're like, oh geez. And I asked Lincoln Riley this in media day back in August. You've never presided over a place kicking competition before as a head coach. How are you going to decide this? Well, it turns out he probably picked the wrong guy. He picked the guy, and the guy gets kicked off the team, and they bring this freshman in here, redshirt freshman, and yeah, we don't know much about him. Seventeen for seventeen from the on the season on field goals. Okay. So the kid can kick, and most of them are right down the middle. Yeah. So the kid can kick. He's great at kickoffs. Something like 60 percent of his kickoffs are touchbacks. I think sixty, seventy percent. Uh, punting, they're okay. They're fine. He's had a couple of shanks. Reeves Munchau is his name. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and then returns, they're nothing special. OU has not been good on returns since the early 2000s. It's bizarre. I don't get it. They get a bunch of Texas kids, they get a bunch of athletes in here, and they're just not any good hmm. on special teams, on returns. They're serviceable. Yeah. So nothing spectacular. But kicking the ball and moving the, uh, the, the field position back and forth, they're very good at that. Uh, I'll give you the quick thumbnail on LSU. Uh, Cade York is the place kicker. He's a freshman. Last year, Cole Tracy, as a grad transfer, made more field goals than anybody in the history of college football. He started at Division II, Assumption College, and then came to LSU. He was great story. He was darn near perfect. Um, and they replaced him with a freshman who was nails to start the season. Had a little lull in the middle of the season. Uh, maybe a little groin injury ca- caused him to just miss hits. Kind of like in golf, you know. Whenever like <laughs> you, if you ever do a putting drill, they want the ball to end up in the same spot so you have a consistent stroke, like. He, against, I think it was Auburn, he he made a PAT off the left upright, left upright and then went in. That's the way to do it. Next one missed it wide right. God, no. I mean, it's like, so when you're missing that wide, <laughs> yeah. it was a problem. But then calendar flipped to November, they went to Alabama, and he was nails. Hmm. And if you're going to do that on the road in Tuscaloosa, and he hadn't missed since. So they feel confident, oh, it's a freshman who hasn't been on the stage, but he's done well. Uh Kickoff is uh, Avery Atkins. He every kick will be a touchback. He'll kick it through the end zone, and LSU does not return kickoffs. They if if you sky kick to the fifteen, they will wave a fair catch hmm. and just take it at the twenty five. 
And part of that is Ed Ogeron looking at his offense and saying, we just need you to not drop the ball right. on this kickoff, and we'll take it at the 25 and go 75 yards. So they LSU will not return a kickoff. They will fair catch everyone and start at the 25. Uh, punt returns. Derek Stingley Jr. returns punts. And if he ever gets some space, he's special. Uh, but he has pressed this year. Fumbled one against Auburn where the one before he fair caught it where he had some space. And the next one you could tell he was trying to make good. And that was the one he should have fair caught and, and ended up muffing it. Gave Auburn a short field when they took a lead on LSU early in that ballgame. Um, so that is worth watching, I, I would say, as LSU in the punt return game to see how, how Stingley does. But other than that, I, I think pretty much probably standard. It sounds like that's close. You know who returns for Oklahoma? Punts. C.D. Lamb. I, I was gonna see. I was gonna say, why wouldn't you just put C.D. Lamb yeah. back there? But that's amazing he's, to say it's nothing special. He's six foot one ish, six two, and one hundred and eighty five, hundred ninety, ninety five pounds. He's a big, strong, kind of lanky. He's not your prototypical punt returner. Who you think of as small, compact, mm-hmm. jitterbug, short space? He's uh, he's just very elusive. And he's had, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to go back through my memory banks here. He's had, I think, two. One touchdown and one that wasn't a touchdown, both called back by penalty. Mm. So we're talking like an 80-yarder and a 60-yarder negated by penalty. And so his and his return average is something like 12 yards. So he's very good at what he does. That sounds pretty special, John. It's, you said nothing special. Yeah, that sounds pretty right. special. You're right. He's he's very good at what he does. It's just that he doesn't get many opportunities. Okay. So Zach von Rosenberg is, uh, is LSU's punter, by the way, and that he's a veteran guy. He's he was a, this is great. We got von Rosenberg versus Munchau. <laughs> Baron <laughs> he, von Munchau is what we call him. <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah. Um, so Zach is an interesting story. He went and played professional baseball, and then came back. He was an all-state punter at Zachary High, just north of Baton Rouge. Went and played professional baseball, gave up the baseball dream, came back, walked on LSU, won the punting job, now is on scholarship. Big kid. So what is he, 26? I think he's 28. Gee. Yeah, he's 28 years Brandon old. Brandon Whedon all over Yes, it, he's 28 years old. It's Yeah, they call him grandpa, as, as you <laughs> might understand, when you're like 10 years older than the kid who returns yeah. months, literally. Um, speaking of Stingley, my assumption is Stingley is going to draw the assignment. LSU doesn't travel its corners. So they're not going to move someone to, to follow Lamb. They'll just mm-hmm. say, Fulton, Stingley, whichever side you want to go, that's where you'll be. Has anybody taken him out of a game? Yeah. How, how? Um, and, and part of it, when you say take it out, take him out, part of it is Lincoln Riley with his play calling. Part of it is Jalen Hurts with his selection of receivers. And part of it is the defense. If you roll a safety over there, you start bracketing him which is what I kind of anticipate they're going to do because I don't think LSU has any fear of Nick Basquin or Lee Morris or any of those other receivers or the tight ends or anything like that. They're going to bracket CD, take him out, because he's a game-breaker. He's going to break your back if you go one-on-one with him. Um, He's had games this year where he's caught one pass, two passes, and you you look at his body language on the sideline and he's getting frustrated. Uh, I think the UCLA game, I think, statistically I'm trying to reconstruct – I think he had two catches and a run, a, a end around, and scored two touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, that's what you, that's yeah. what you do when you're CD Lamb. Yeah, not bad. So I look for LSU to, to really cover him bracket wise and and try to shut him down and let the other guys have five catches for 38 yards. You yeah. know. Okay, interesting. Um, all right, how do you think it goes? We've been talking about this the last three days. Uh, I think uh, I think LSU wins a football game. 
I do think 13 and a half, 14, the spread is too much. I, th- I see something like a 35-31 type game. So real quick on the point spread, um, and, and I've, I've seen this all year with, with LSU. Early in the season, Vegas got crushed by LSU. They consistently undervalued as people were, like the, the betting public was, was quicker to accept LSU's offense as mm-hmm. legit before Vegas was. So you would see Vegas get hammered. And every time they'd set a line, the Texas line, for example, when LSU played Texas, that game opened with Texas as a one-point favorite. Wow. It moved all the way to LSU uh, minus seven. Hmm. Moved eight points. That's a lot. Eight points. Eight points. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, a complete about face. So Vegas has has started to inflate lines involving LSU because they're, they're I mean, Vegas needs to generate action on both sides of the line. Mm-hmm. So this one started at, Nine, I think, and got bet up to 13. So that just, Vegas didn't set it at 13. They set it at nine, which I probably think is more appropriate for this game where you could see maybe a a one-score game with a late score that makes it 10. I think that, if I I would think a 41-31, you you said 35-31. I think a 41-31 is something that could happen. I don't think LSU's invincible. They've They've been flawed defensively this year. They're better now than they were at the beginning of the season. They've oddly been able to build depth and got some guys healthy, and they're better now than they were early. Um, but they're they're far from from infallible. I just believe for LSU, the key is in this game what it's been all season. Defensively, get enough stops to where the LSU offense has two or three consecutive possessions with a chance to build a lead. And that's how they've got the snowball rolling this year. And LSU's going to give up yards. They're going to give up points. I just think LSU's defense is going to be able to get more stops than Oklahoma's because it's just been that kind of year offensively for LSU. So I think it's – it's a, you know what's odd, John? And, and this is the thing, though, that does – if you're an LSU fan, should give you pause. You talk to LSU fans, they're all saying 52-10. to 10. Yeah. And I'm like – you know that's Lincoln Riley and Jalen Hurts and C.D. Lamb. It's like they're that's Oklahoma. They scored, that, they scored against an elite Georgia defense. They scored against an elite yeah. Alabama defense. So this I don't I don't think this. I think LSU fans look at the spread and success LSU's had, and I think they're going into this game feeling totally stress free. I do not think this is a stress free game. I think this is a really good college football game. LSU is a better quarterback, and I, I think think the better defense that will get enough stops to win it. Um, one thing to keep in mind, LSU's worst quarter this season defensively is the fourth quarter. Hmm. They've given up 93 points in the fourth quarter. Hmm. Gave up 21 in the fourth quarter to Alabama. Gave up 17, I believe, in the fourth quarter. To, they gave up seven points in the first half to Texas. Gave up 31 in the second half. Speak to depth. It's... Early in the season, it was. Uh, I think they've built more depth. And you look at the last three games, and defensively, LSU, post-Ole Miss, LSU, I think that was their, hey, enough. Now, I'll grant you, that was Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Georgia. None of those offenses is Oklahoma. But LSU defensively fourth quarter, and, and I, I think depth, but also what you talked about last time with Lincoln running 85 plays and not caring what his defense did or what that did to his defense. Yeah. 
And I think there's a little bit of that with LSU. It's like, let's just go score. Whatever, whatever it means for the defense, they'll they'll make it work. Whatever, but let's just keep scoring and scoring maybe, and scoring. Maybe Lincoln Riley will do a rope a dope then and try to have 85, 90 plays offensively. I, I think John, that's his best chance to win this game. Interesting. Slowing down the game against LSU. Every team this year has tried a different way. Uh, Not everyone could was equipped to keep up with them offensively. And, and Oklahoma is. Yeah. Alabama was. Texas at that time was. Uh, Oklahoma is. Georgia was. Georgia tried. Georgia came out against LSU. The first play of the game, they chucked a deep ball down the field. Kid dropped it. Mm. You know, 50 yards downfield. They tried. Jake Fromm's just not very good, and the receivers right. aren't very good. Oklahoma is. Like, I, I would be... I hear what you're saying. I would be just very surprised if Oklahoma comes into this game looking to play a, a slow-it-down, grind-out-a-win type game because it's just... That's a recipe that's not worked against this team. Final question before we wrap this thing right. up. The playoff experience. Oklahoma's been here two times in a row under Lincoln Riley. Ed Orgeron spoke about today. It's the first yeah. time. Any, do you think that plays into it? I do. I, I always think any experience matters. I'll tell you what helps LSU negate that a little bit is having been here three weeks ago. Literally in the same hotel, going through the same practice, in the same building, in the same locker room. Um, footing was a problem in the SEC championship game. Hmm. File that away. Yeah. A lot of complaints about the the playing surface at the SEC championship game. Um, Georgia receiver tore up his knee in that game. You saw guys slipping. It, it that's we'll keep an eye on that tomorrow as well. But I think sight lines. Uh, El, this just popped in my mind. You mentioned that Terrace Marshall dropped what would have been a seventy-four yard touchdown pass in that ball game because he lost it in the lights. Wow. Um, so sight lines matter. I, I think you know, it's the weird thing where one one end of the stadium is open, you can see into the downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that helps. But the whole experience of the playoff and the magnitude of it, none of these players have done it before from LSU. Yeah. And I, I think that experience does help o- Oklahoma. Uh, also, one one final one. You lied. You said that was the I final. I did. El, uh, Ed Orgeron versus Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley has more wins through three seasons than anybody has yeah. since 1890. That's amazing. Which is about mind-blowing. It also speaks to, to what he inherited, too. He's an awesome coach. No doubt. But he inherited a great program. He's making too. it better, though. Yeah, no, no, He's taking no what Stoops did and, and is actually elevating it. No question. What about Ed Orgeron in that mixture? As far as... As being an elite head coach. This is his opportunity. He's, he's kind it? of finding himself, isn't this he, in is, his career? Th- this is his opportunity. I think Ed is um, Ed will be challenged when the inevitable happens and he starts losing his assistance. Um, like I keep losing my pen. <laughs> um, what happens when Dave Aranda leaves? Can you make the right hire? What happens when... Joe Brady leaves. Can you make the right hire? I think those are the questions. Ed, Ed's a great recruiter. LSU is a program has a lot of built-in advantages recruiting in the state of Louisiana, as you know the only you know, Power Five program. Um, he can keep the pipeline of talent, but Les Miles had a lot of talent and stopped winning big because he couldn't get out of his own way. Yeah. I think Ed has more self-awareness than Les did at the end. Uh, but I think that'll be Ed's biggest test. But, hey, man, you win this game, you go play for a title, you manage to beat either Ohio State or Clemson, 
You are. I mean, you're, you're on a very short list of human beings that have ever walked the face of the earth that have coached a national championship winning team. And he's two wins away from it. Yep. Appreciate it, man. All right. Great stuff. Fun. Locked on LSU, Locked on Sooners. Please subscribe to both podcasts. Rate us, review us on iTunes. We appreciate it. He's John. I'm Matt. We'll, uh, I, I don't know, Monday recap the game. Kick it off in 24 hours. You want to do another crossover? Before the game? After the game. Yep, I do. We can do that. After the game, we'll do it. Thanks.